Thank you for being here. I'd like to welcome you all to Lesson 2 of The Blessed Life. Uh, this is a series that we do every year. Uh, it's a book by uh, Pastor Robert Morris. And uh, so all this information that we have gathered is from that book. I encourage everybody to read that book. And uh, so we're just going to go ahead and dive in. I want to uh, echo what Pastor Mike has said about Pastor Kento last week. He did a fantastic job. Um, amen. That's all right. It's okay. We're just going to have fun today. This, that's fine. Um, they say the number one fear in the world is what I'm doing right now. Number one, Sister Tracy in the back agrees. But then you put public speaking into a church and then say, you got to talk about money. It gets magnified, Right. But when you understand that this isn't about the blessed money, this isn't the blessed finances, this is the blessed life, and this is a lifestyle that we get to live. So there's a few things that Pastor Kento taught us last week. I want to just go ahead and touch on them uh, to make sure that everybody is on the same page moving forward. Is that all right? So if I were to ask you, what is the numerical value of the tithe? You would say the tenth, right? Ten percent. And, and that's found very clearly in Scripture. But it can't just be ten percent, right? We learned last week that it has to be the first ten percent. Here's why. God understands who he is. Can you imagine almighty God, all powerful, all loving, bled, died for you, made a way for you to, to be here and to live a life of, of victory only to deal with second, third, fourth, the leftovers, what the Bible may be referred to as the residue. Okay. God is the great I am and the great I am is deserving of nothing less than the first. Right. And that's what's found in the scripture, the principle of the first fruits. Bible teaches that when we return to God, what he said belonged to him. In fact, the word is mine. Anybody with young toddlers? You hear that word a lot, don't you? Mine. It's mine. That's the word God used when he was talking about the tithe. It's mine. It belongs to me. When we return that to the Lord and we return it first, the Bible says that now God puts his blessing Upon the 90% because you've returned to what belongs to him first. Uh, we also learned last week from Pastor Kento, perhaps the first time in the history of the oneness movement. And I quote, congratulations, you'll just be broke with heated seats. Same thing, just with a nice toasty butt. <laughs> this, of course, he's referring to uh, being broke is not necessarily a money problem. It's a management problem. Right. So moving forward, I would like to talk to you about uh, three things. Uh, one we've just covered. There's three giving uh, levels, if you will. You can't get to the next level without doing the previous step. The first step's what we learned last week with the tithe. That's that's the beginning of this giving. All right. So you you tithe, and that can lead to the next level of giving, which is offerings, okay, offerings. The one after that discipline would be extravagant offerings, okay. I, I studying for this, and I, I was uh, reading about these three different levels of giving, and I, had, I said to Talisha, I said, hey, babe, did you know there's three levels of giving found in Scripture? And you know what she said? She said, yeah. Like, you didn't know that, you dummy? And I said, oh, yeah, well, okay, well, what are they? She said, tithes, offerings, and painful offerings. I said, well, you know, that, that an extravagant offering is painful. Isn't it funny when you get a revelation, God reveals something to you, you think you're the first person on the planet to have found what you have found? Most of the time that happens to me, she's already figured that out. So I'm, I'm, I'm in her, her dust, in her tailwind there. So uh, we're going to go ahead and talk about offerings and extravagant offerings. All right. Um, what if I told you 
And this is, this is, we're going to have some fun today. What if I told you that there was a principle in scripture that God would use to multiply your finances? Would you be interested in learning about what that principle is? Come on. I got Tony and somebody over here. Okay. If you guys just want to come up, I'll teach you the rest of you guys. I guess we'll see you tomorrow night at, at prayer. All right. Uh, listen, if there was a way, think about this. If there was a way that you could do some things in your life and it would free God to multiply, not add, multiply your finances, wouldn't you want to know? The Bible says don't, don't add to the word and don't take away. That's why we're doing this series. It's not easy to talk about money, but... If we don't, are we not taking away from the word of God? Are we not withholding this amazing truth that God put in there for a reason? And so let's dive in. We're going to go ahead and talk about offerings. Um, I'd like to read to you a scripture found in Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 through 11. It says, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, where have we robbed thee? In tithes? And in offerings. This is God speaking, by the way. This is God. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, or the church, that there may be meat in my house, or the church. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough for you to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. This is God speaking to his people. Okay? I've always viewed this, um, the tithing is God's. It's his. It's, It's mine, he said. And if you don't return that to him, you've robbed him. Very, very true. We just read that. And I've always looked at offerings as something that's free will. In the Old Testament, they had mandatory offerings and, the new, and, and then they had free will offerings. Something that God didn't demand. People just did it anyway. All right. According to what I read here, God says, you have robbed me in tithes. And in offerings. There's not a separation there. I believe God thinks he's so good to you. That you ought to be willing to give a tithe and an offering. And he says. You haven't done that. And you're cursed with a curse. I know this is heavy right now. We're talking about money. But this is the word of God. But listen to an amazing perspective. If you don't do this, you're cursed with a curse. But if you do, I'll open up the windows of heaven. I'll pour you out a blessing you can't receive. I will will rebuke the devourer for your sake. I've always viewed this as, as we have robbed God of what we give him. There's, I, I do believe that's true, but there is another perspective that you can look at this from. God is a rewarder. Of them that diligently seek him. It doesn't say he, re, he, he, it's what he does. It says he is a rewarder. I think you can look at this and say, God wants to bless me. God wants to pour out a blessing. He wants to rebuke the devourer for my sake. He wants my fields to be fruitful. He wants them to come in at the right time and in the right season. But when I don't submit to what he has established in his word, I am robbing him of the opportunity to bless me. And so this is a very, very um, important concept to get. So I want to talk about the offering. I want to talk about how does God take the offering and multiply it. Now, we've just come off of the heart attack series, and, and Pastor was so amazing during those, those weeks of, of dealing with our heart. We entered into the Blessed Life series. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I feel like the Blessed Life series is heart attack 2.0. Because this is not about money. 
This is about the condition of your heart, all right? And so I want to read you a, a story. How many people are familiar with the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? All right? A lot of people. Okay. We're going to have some fun with it, all right? We're going to kind of, uh, have you ever tried to put yourself into the scripture? Think about, man, if, if I were there, what would I think? How, how would what's going on make me feel? Okay, what would my emotions be behind what's going on? We're going to try to dive into the scripture a little bit and, and try to see if we can't glean some things from the word of God. Okay, so Luke chapter 9 verses 12 through 17. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, send the multitude away that they may go into the towns and the country round about and lodge and get victuals. For we are here in a desert place. But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except that we should go buy meat for all this people. For there were about 5,000 men. Now let me stop just a moment. Um, Jewish culture, they did not count people. When they had crowds, they would count men because men were representative of families. So when the Bible says 5,000 men, it is, it is indicating that there were 5,000 families. And, and most in Jewish culture, most families had anywhere from three to five on average kids. So a pile of kids, okay? Not Andrew Hill amount, but a pile of kids, all right? And so just know that when we say Jesus feeding the 5,000, it's probably cons very conservatively about 20,000, okay? So um, that being said, uh, in fact, other verses that, that are found in the other Gospels, it says 5,000 men plus women and children. All right. Uh, he said unto his disciples, make them sit down uh, in fifties in a company. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and he break and he gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat and they were filled and there was taken up fragments that remained to them 12 baskets. So here we go. I want to just paint a, a picture of, of what's going on in Luke chapter 9 here. Um, Jesus is getting up, we'll say, on a Sunday, Sunday service. And it is a, uh, Pastor Mike mentioned last week, we were 357 people in our both services combined. Um, Jesus was preaching to at least 20,000. So it's a high attendance Sunday, okay, something to celebrate. And they've got the disciples over here, and um, you know they're they're uh, over off to the side listening to Jesus. And how many people have ever heard a, a preacher say, "Just give me five more minutes"? <laughs> Has anybody ever found that to be true? Because that's a miracle. We're looking for miracles, right? Who wants to testify? Okay. Jesus was preaching so long, the Bible says, when the day began to wear away. So you can imagine, it's 1248 right now, and, and I've been up here for 14 minutes. But what happens if, if 2 o'clock rolls around and I'm still here? Okay? 3 o'clock. 4 o'clock. And by 4 o'clock... Fellas, you've already missed the first game, okay? It, which is okay if the Lions are playing because they're not worth watching, all right? Amen. Amen. Five o'clock rolls around. Six o'clock rolls around. Now, I know there'd be people who are getting frustrated. Why in the world won't Pastor John just wrap this up? Doesn't he know what time it is? Doesn't he know that we had a birthday uh, party to go to at 2.30 today? Okay, you imagine, like put yourself here. It says when the day began to wear away, you talk about long-winded, preaching to 20,000 people the whole day. And so this is what we've got. We've got this verse, and, and it says, you know, the disciples, okay, I picture, a, I picture a committee. It's what we do in church. We've got committees and we have meetings. Let me tell you something about the last few months. I want to, the Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. Um, nobody in this room or in this church has been in more meetings than Pastor Mike Neto. 
the last four months. Is that safe? Every time I call them, every time I send them a text, I get a text back. Hey, bro, I'll call you in a little bit. I'm in a meeting every time. Okay, so that that helps us operate in the spirit of excellence. Okay, it's not in vain. And I'm looking forward to the vision campaign because most of those meetings were vision campaign related. So it's going to be worth it. But you've got these disciples. Let's just call them the pastoral staff. The pastor's up there preaching. The pastoral staff's getting together. The day is wearing away. Okay, they're starting to see the sun get close to the horizon. And this is what they said. Hey, guess what? You know what? I I can't believe he's still preaching. I can't believe he's still talking. I'm starving. Doesn't he know we were supposed to be at lunch four hours ago? It's not lunch, it's dinner. And if he keeps going, it's going to be midnight snack time. If I don't get something to eat right now, I'm going to die. I will die if I don't get something to eat right now. And one of the disciples looked at him. He said, you know what? I think that's it. I think that's it. The people must be hungry. He seems to care a lot about the people. Not so much us, but he loves the people. So let's tell him that the people are hungry. He'll have to dismiss the service because they've got to have time to go into town and find a place to sleep and and get some food. This is what we read, okay? Can you imagine, can you imagine, Pastor Mike, if Pastor Hoffman's up here speaking, Hour after hour after hour. Is there any one of us that would want to come up and tell Pastor Hoffman to wrap it up because we're hungry? Anybody? This is what they did. The inference is here. He was still speaking when the, when the disciple came over to him. Can you imagine being the guy that drew the short straw on that? Okay, you got 12 of them and it's like, man, oh man, I don't want to be the guy. But one of them goes and interrupts Jesus while he's speaking. Okay, so I just picture Jesus speaking and say, hey, uh, hey, boss, hey, hey, Lord, Lord, hey, how you doing? <laughs> hey, Lord, you know, this, this is great. This is what you're doing today is, it's unbelievable. This series of messages that you're doing all in one day, this is incredible. Me and the guys, we love it. But... Um, You know, we were talking, Lord, and uh, the people, the people must be getting hungry. It's been a long day for them. So you're worried, oh, you're worried about the people. Yes, Lord, it's, it's, it's all about the people. Yeah, you know, it has been a long day, hasn't it? Yeah, Lord, it's been a long day. Yeah, okay, give them something to eat. And he goes back to preaching. Now, picture you are that disciple. Jesus has been preaching all day long. You got to go interrupt him and tell him it's time to wrap it up. And he says, you give them something to eat. And now you got to go back to the 11 and tell them what the boss said. So you go back to the committee, right? They say, well, what did he say? Did you tell him that that the people were hungry? And he says, yes. That's exactly what I told them, word for word. I said, the people are hungry. They said, well, what did he say? He said, for us to give them something to eat. He says, for us to give them something to eat? We don't don't have anything to eat. And just then, I know I'm taking some liberties here. But just then, I picture a a boy sneaking back in from, from going into town. And he's carrying a Long John Silver sack. And he got the two-piece meal with extra hush puppies. And I see Peter. He's a little bit more the aggressive one. And he, and he just kind of grabs it and, and goes and opens it up and looks at it. And he, and he eats one of those. And he starts munching down on one of those hush puppies. And, and John grabs it from him. And he says, stop it, Peter. This is all we have. This is all we have. And somebody says, you know what? That's it. This is all we have. This is it. We've got 20,000 people. We've got two fish. 
Five hush puppies. And so there's no possible. You're the disciple. Put this in your head. There's no possible way. Tell, tell them I'm, I'm preaching. <laughs> Just joking. So imagine you're that disciple. We got two fish, five loaves, and guess what? You got to go tell Jesus this is all that we have. Doesn't that make sense? He's going to have to dismiss the service, right? He's going to have to. Okay, so you're that disciple who has to go back to Jesus and, and tell him this is all that we have. And so they interrupt him again. Excuse me, boss. Hey, hey, how you doing? Yes, Lord. Yeah, that's still good. You know, um, you told us to start, you know, give them something to eat. And, and Lord, we've been working on that, me and the guys. And, um, you know, the only thing we were able to come up with is um, two, two fish and, uh, Lord, almost five hush puppies. Peter ate some. But that, Lord, you know, that's all that we have. That's all that we have. So we were thinking one of the best things, probably the best thing to do, Lord, would be to um, go with the first plan and, and probably wrap, wrap it up. Wrap it up. Okay, so you've got two fish and almost five hush puppies. I know how Peter can be. Uh, but that's all you have. Yes, Lord. That's all that we have. Yeah, that'll work. Okay, get them in groups of 50. Excuse me? <laughs> Think about it. You're the disciple that says this is all we got. And Jesus says, yeah, all right. Why don't you separate them into 50s? It's unbelievable to me that this is how this played out. But this is exactly what we read in scriptures. And so now that disciple has to go back and tell the other 11, we got to get them in groups of 50. Now you're talking about 20,000 people in groups of 50. How long do you think that would take? What is that? Is it four, 400? I should know better to do math in public. 400, is that right? 400 groups? That's a, that would be a massive undertaking to separate 20,000 people into groups of 50 all over the place. But that's what, they, that's what they were told to do. And so this guy, he's going back and he talks to the committee and he says, hey, well, what did he say? Is he going to dismiss the service? Is, is, are we out of here or what? Nope. Well, what did he tell you? He said for us to get them into groups of 50. Now, you remember, these 11, these are, these are the disciples, right? They, these are Jewish believers. And, and just with being a Jewish custom, they understood and they read the scripture, which was Old Testament, right? They were kind of living out the New Testament. But they read the Old Testament. They were familiar with it. And, and, and this is just my opinion. I think probably one of them would have remembered the story in 2 Kings with Elisha, Elisha is the, is the prophet that had a double portion of miracles. And, and, and in 2 Kings, there was this story of a hundred men. And, uh, and somebody brought in, in some grain with some bread. And, and they, they said, we needed to feed the men. And there's no way that they could feed a hundred men with what they had. And so Elisha prayed over it. And, and what they had grew. And they were able to feed these hundred men. Okay. I think these, these 12 disciples knew of that story because it, it's just in their culture. They would have known about it. And I think one of them probably says, you know what? I think I understand what's getting ready to happen. Do you remember that story in 2 Kings when Elisha prayed and stuff grew and they were able to feed 100 people? A greater than Elisha is here. We've seen him do all kinds of wonderful things. I think that when we bring him what we've got here, I think it's just going to grow and multiply, and then we'll be able to feed the whole pile of people. And so Peter, you know, he's the aggressive one. Give me that. And it's like, I want to I watch what's going to happen. Watch what's going to happen. And they interrupt Jesus again. And he says, here you go, Lord. I want you to pray for it. Pray for mine. Pray for mine. Here you go. Because he wants to have his hands in the miracle. And so, listen, this is what we read. Jesus takes them. He lifts it up to heaven and he says, Father, bless it. And then he says, he gives it back to them. You can imagine Peter. 
You want to pray some more? <laughs> no, Peter, I've blessed it. Yeah, but are you sure you don't want to pray? No, Peter, it's blessed. Now watch what happens. As the disciples take what has been blessed, they start passing it out. Okay? And personally, I think it went like this. Take just a little piece. Take just a little piece. Just a little piece. I said a little piece, you pig. What are you doing? A little piece. Just a little piece. And by the time he got down to the end, there was one piece left. And before their eyes, they saw the one piece grow. You see, the miracle did not happen in the master's hands. It happened in the hands of the disciples. And the miracle didn't happen until they started to give it away. What they brought to the Lord first, sound like last week? What they brought to him first, he puts the blessing on it. That's the tithe. You bring it to him first and he blesses it. Then he lets you have what's left. And then you take what's left that is now blessed and you start sowing it into other people. You start giving that away. By the time it, it multiplies, you won't stop the multiplication process when you give away what's blessed. Here's the amazing part. They had 12 baskets left over. They started out with two fish and five loaves of bread. At the end of it, not only did over 20,000 people get full, they had extra. They had far more to be at the end than they had to begin with. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine if they wouldn't have taken it to Jesus first? If they just would have started passing it out? Not blessed. That's what some people try to do. Some people try to do that with the offerings. You know, oh, you know, I'm not going to pay tithes, but I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll support this missionary. I'll go ahead and, and support this charity, which is great, but it's not blessed because there's no tithe that's offered first. Can you imagine if Jesus would have blessed it and the disciples would have eaten it? Would it have multiplied? It had to be given away to multiply. This is a, a scripture in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, and it's talking about um, a principle of giving. It backs up what I'm saying here today, and it says that give and it will be given unto you, shaken down, pressed together, and running over, okay? This is so amazing because if you read in this, in this verse and it says, um, go to the verse before this, verse 37, it should say, um, Judge not, you should not be judged. Condemn not, you should not be condemned. Forgive, and it shall be forgiven. It sounds like what you give out is what you get back, right? Go to verse 39. Next one. Oh, I'm sorry, one back. Nope, next one. Just kidding, just kidding. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. I think that's talking about judging, condemning, and forgiving. Because when it mentions giving, that's not the same measure coming back. It says it's shaken down. It's pressed together. It's running over. It backs up Malachi. God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. He wants to open up the windows of heaven. He wants to pour out a blessing that you can't contain. He wants to rebuke the devourer for your sake. But if we're not submitted to God's process, God can't do that. This is the concept of offerings. Now, offerings have no specific amount assigned to it like the tithe does. Okay, that free will offering part, God, God demands the offering, but that free will part, that's what we decide. What, what are we wanting to give? What is God leading me to give? And I ask God, is there something you want me to do? And you're obedient to whatever it is that God tells you. 
And this is the offering. It'll change your life. It's a lifestyle. It's not an action. This is a way of life. Now I'd like to go ahead and shift into something called an extravagant offering. This is the, the highest form of giving. This is, this is, if you've gotten here, that means you're faithful with the tithe and you're consistent in your offerings, okay? This, is, this happens a few times in a lifetime. There are opportunities that God will challenge you over the course of your life only a few times. And I want to go ahead and I'll, I'll dive into a couple biblical examples of this. When David had his greatest ambition that he has ever had to build God a new temple, a new house of prayer, a place of worship, God told David, no. You imagine that? King David, a man after God's own heart, God says no. That's what gets me so excited about the vision campaign. Okay? David was told no. We've been told yes. That should excite you. That should do something inside of you. That we get to be a part of a process to build God a new temple. It's very exciting. But instead of getting bent out of shape and, 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 and depressed over his no, David decided, you know what, I may not be able to build it, but I can provide for it. And so what David decided to do was set aside lumber, to set aside gold, metals, silver. And if we were to equate the value of what David did as an offering unto the Lord, in today's uh, economy, it would be $21 billion. That's pretty extravagant to put $21 billion aside for a temple you don't get to build. Extravagant. Another time in David's life, I believe that he was able to offer an extravagant offering unto the Lord is found in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6 um, in verse 13. The Ark of the Covenant was actually lost in Israel and they were having church without God. And, and the first thing David does when he gets on the phone, he says, where's the Ark? We've got to get the Ark back. And they tracked it down to a guy's house by the name of Obed-Edom and from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem is about 12 miles, okay, 12 miles. It says here in 2 Samuel that when they left Obed-Edom's house, every six steps they offered a sacrifice of oxen and of the fatlings, all right? Oxen, plural, fatlings, plural. So, put it into context. I walked this way on the first service. I'm going to walk that way. All right, six steps, average pace. That's the distance. Every time you did that, at minimum of four animals were getting sacrificed. And this is a very in-depth process. We, we learn about that in, in the Old Testament, about you know the, the fat of the kidneys and the color of the liver and what you can burn, what you can't burn. It's a big deal to do what they did. And every six steps, they were doing that. So I did the math, the average step. Uh, how many steps are in a mile? It's about 2,000 steps. And there was 12 miles. So I don't do math in my head. I got it written down right here. That's 12,000. 12,000 steps from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem. Which when you divide that by six steps... It's 4,000 times that David stopped and offered sacrifices to the Lord for the ark returning to Jerusalem. That's extravagant. Can you imagine the trail of leftover animal parts? The blood, the carnage. Can you imagine what that must have, how long does that take? It's extravagant. Solomon, when he became king, uh, the Jewish custom was for the king when he, when he came to the throne, um, they were to offer uh, an oxen or a bull. And, and that was custom for or being the new king of the area. Um, Solomon decided instead of offering one, it would be good to offer a thousand. One thousand of them. 
This is extravagance. I think about in the New Testament and uh, with Mary and the alabaster box and found in, in all four Gospels, but out of, specifically out of John 12. Um, and as the, as the musicians would come. Mary is sitting in the house listening to Jesus talk with Lazarus. Mary has a sister, Martha. And Mary and Martha have a brother, Lazarus. And she decides to take an alabaster box full of costly ointment and pour it on the head of Jesus and on the feet. And the Bible says that it was worth 300 denarii. I did a little bit of homework about that. A denarii, one denarii is worth one day's wage in whatever time or culture you were in. So you take out the Sabbaths and you take out uh, days that you're not working. It averages out to be about 300 working days a year. So when the Bible says 300 pence or 300 denarii, that means it's a year's salary. It's a year's wage. So no matter how much you make right now, I'm sure there's a, a wide variety of income. However you make, think about what you make in one year. Can you imagine bringing that in and putting it in the offering plate? That's pretty extravagant. Now imagine taking that, breaking it, and pouring it on somebody's feet. That's what Mary did. It's extravagant. And I'm trying to figure out why. Why so extravagant, Mary? All you have to do is go to the chapter before. Mary has a brother, Lazarus. Lazarus uh, is dead. In fact, Mary uh, had faith for uh, healing. If Jesus would have got there when he was alive then she, she knew he could be healed. But Jesus was late, yet right on time. She goes through the grieving process. She goes through the hope of, if Jesus shows up, everything will be okay. And the disappointment of, Jesus didn't show up and now he's gone. The process of embalming in the funeral, and putting in the grave. She goes through all of that heartache and turmoil only to have Jesus show up four days after the burial. But Mary got to see something incredible. <laughs> she got to see Jesus yell, Lazarus, come forth. And her brother who was dead is now sitting in the house laughing with Jesus over a meal. And her heart becomes overwhelmed with gratitude that there's no cost too high because my brother's alive. I hear him in the next room. She, so she starts searching, what can I do? And she finds this bottle full of costly array breaks it, pours it over the Lord. And what this revealed is the condition of her heart. We learn this in the blessed life. How do you overcome greed? You overcome greed with generosity. This extravagant offering that was offered on this day revealed the condition of her heart. Mary was grateful. She was overwhelmed with gratitude in her heart. But not just that, it also revealed the condition of somebody else that was there. You see, giving reveals the condition of your heart. Judas was there. The disciples were there. Judas was upset. He said, why wasn't this sold and given to the poor? Because the giving, the extravagance, revealed something into Judas. He had a selfish heart selfish heart and so that's what I'm doing today you know it's not easy to get up here in a church and talk about money this isn't this isn't all hoorah and, and yay we feel great 
But I've noticed and I've learned over the years of doing this, the people who don't get uncomfortable while we're talking about it are usually the people who tithe and who give offerings. See, I'm like a doctor right now. You ever gone to the doctor and gotten a checkup? And you say, you know, he says, hey, does this hurt right here? No. What about this? How's that? No, I feel good. What about this? I'm fine. What about this? Ooh, yeah, something over there hurts. So if, if while I'm speaking and while I'm talking, you're, you're kind of getting a little uncomfortable, that's okay. God's wanting to reveal something. He's trying, he's after your heart. He's not after your money, but where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. So we're asking you to, to, to be honest with yourself. How's my heart? Am I generous? Am I living a generous lifestyle? But you might say those things are so extravagant. I don't have that much money. Anybody here? I don't have that kind of extravagance. I read about a man named Abraham. Abraham was challenged of God. He said the heathen love their God so much that they offer their children to their God. Do you love me as much as the heathen love their God? Abraham was challenged to offer his only son. New Testament, I know he had Ishmael, but the New Testament said, offer thy son, thy only son, Isaac. Are you willing to offer Isaac? And Abraham, in an act of faith, in an act of extravagant offering, was willing to offer his son. I can't imagine what that's like. And thankfully, God provided himself a sacrifice. I read about a widow with two mites. Didn't have anything. And Jesus is watching. He's watching people give of their abundance into the offering. And this, this widow comes up and she just drops in two pennies. And Jesus said, this woman right there, you see her, that widow? She gave more than everybody else. Because it's not about the amount. It's about the heart. She wanted to give something to God, and the only thing she had was two pennies. See, God knows your situation, and He knows where you're at. He knows what you're dealing with. And if you're dealing with a, with a struggle financially, hear me, I've been there. I remember praying in my living room one time. It was 2010 in the recession. We didn't have any money. In fact, I had just signed the paper for the postal service to give me the the foreclosure notice on the house. And I remember I was, I was alone and I fell down on my knees and I prayed and I said, God, I paid the tithe. I'm holding you accountable to your word. You said you'd take care of me. And God challenged me. I only had two or 300 bucks in the bank. Just, be, just being raw and real with you. And I have bills coming in and I, I couldn't pay them. I emptied my bank account. It doesn't make sense. Tithing doesn't make sense. Offerings don't make sense. The more I learn about God, the more I know that if it makes logical sense, it's probably not God. But you get to a point where you believe in tithing that 90% with God's blessing is superior than 100% without it. I said, God, I, I don't have much, but I give it to you because I trust you. And it wasn't long after that, I got my income taxes back and it was the exact amount to pay off the foreclosure notice. A month or two later, we were in a lease payment and we were able to turn that in. It saved us $350 a month. Then what started the whole mess in our country we were in one of those APR interest-only loans. And, and after five years, it readjusts to the current market value. But because the, the economy was so bad, the rates were so low. So we were saving, it was five or $600 a month we were saving. And this is in six months time. 
my bills were reduced by $1,200 a month. God rewards your offerings. And is there any doubt that the Savior of this world, the one who knew no sin, came to this planet because he so loved you and I to offer the most extravagant offering that has ever been offering in the history of the world. And he hung on that cross. He bled and died for you and for me so that we could be here and live this amazing life of freedom and of liberty, of abundance. It's extravagant. And God will challenge some of you. Some of you will be challenged in the next few years. Not just to tithe or to give offerings. Some of you will have the high honor to be challenged in extravagance. And I pray that you hear from God. And there's a process that goes to this. Usually you hear from God. And then you get excited because you've heard from God. If you haven't heard from God, don't do it. Okay? Don't, don't get your own ideas and say, well, Pastor John said, give extravagant, so I'm going to do this. You've got to hear from God. Okay? Number one. Then you get excited. This is great. I can't believe God's going to. He's challenging. He's trusting me with this. After excitement comes fear. How in the world can this be? How can I make this work? This doesn't make any sense. So logic comes in and it said, well, maybe, you know, maybe if we do it this way, or maybe, maybe if we can try to reason and, and figure out a path. And then once you realize that's impossible, doubt comes in. Maybe that wasn't me. Maybe I just dreamed it all up. Maybe I was caught up in the moment of, of hearing Pastor John preach for the blessed life. And then you get to the last step of this, which is faith. And you say, it doesn't make sense. It's impossible. I can't wrap my head around it, but God spoke. And when God spokes, I'll obey. And you watch the hand of God work in your life. As we stand and come to the front, I know it's been a long day, but at least I'm not preaching so long that the day is beginning to wear away. Some of you may know uh, Talisha and I's story. Um, every time that we go through the blessed life, we're, um, I always, just being honest with you all, I always kind of fight this this part of our story because I never want to come across to any of you like I'm bragging as if I've done anything to brag about. I'm bragging on Jesus and what he's done in my life and I owe it to him to share it to you because he's been good to me. When we first began to teach the Blessed Life series to all of you, I remember I was um, preparing. In fact, back then, Pastor Mike went to the Super Bowl. Um, and so I had lesson one and I had lesson two. And so I was preparing for these lessons and, and throughout the book, Pastor Robert Morris is sharing stories about these principles and how he's, he's lived it to see it come to pass that he's actually taken it for a test drive and found it to be true and authentic. And I remember praying this prayer. I said, God, I, I want my own stories. I don't want to get up and, and share stories to you that are somebody else's. I want my own. You got to be real careful when you pray that prayer. Because God will give you your stories. But usually it comes through some valleys. Usually it'll come through some storms. 
So God spoke to me after I prayed that prayer and he says, okay, you want some stories. I want you to give 10% in offerings. We were not in a good place to increase our offerings. In fact, the crazy part is you won't be in a good place to increase your offerings until you increase your offerings. And so being the man of faith that I am, I said, God, I, I don't know if that's you or not. Um, <laughs> logic, right? Doubt. I gotta, I gotta, you gotta confirm this to me. And so who's done this? You take your Bible out. You say, Lord, lead me to a verse that confirms something. And you do this, you know, you, you got, and then you stop. You open it and then you got your eyes closed and you point. I did that and I ended up reading about when they started implementing tithing in the, in the uh, Old Testament and they had heaps in the house of God. And, and they were, the, the, um, the priest was where he said, look at all these heaps. Are the people okay? Do the people have enough to eat? Because he's saying they must be in poverty. Look at all that they've given. He says, oh, you should see, this is just the tithe. You should see what's in their house. That's what I turned to in that moment. And so, like I said, I'm a man of faith. And I said, God, you've confirmed your word. You spoke to me, you confirmed it in your word. But Lord, would you do it again? I was trying to get out of it, right? And so I said, I need you to confirm it in, in Talisha. And we're driving here on a Wednesday night, the week of. And we're just driving. We're not talking. We're just driving. And she says, wouldn't it be amazing if God challenged us to be givers more than we are? Wouldn't that be amazing if God allowed us to do that? And so I'm driving and I start crying. And she's like, what, what, did I, what did I say? And so I had to share the process God had gotten me through. So in faith, didn't make sense, couldn't afford it, but we did it anyway. Three months after that night, someone comes to us and says, I wanna pay off your house. He says, what I'll do is We'll pay it off and we'll get a 0% loan. And every year that passes, I'll, I'll send $20,000 to the debt of the house. It's been three years. I haven't had a house payment. That's been taken care of. So it's developing this heart in me. And I'm, I remember it was a Monday night and I was praying over here and it was towards the end of Monday night prayer and, and uh, Pastor Dre's up here and he's, he's leading us in worship and I, I just I became overwhelmed with gratitude for this man of God and his wife and that he allowed us to have them here. Yeah, I was just grateful, I was just grateful. And I prayed a prayer. I said, Lord, the next unexpected money that I get, I want to give it to Pastor Dre. Six days later, I get a check. Wasn't planned. I, Talisha saw it. She's like, oh, cool. Look, yeah, we can do this or we can do that. I hadn't told her about my prayer. Mistake number one. I had to explain to Talisha, I said, babe, this isn't ours. And we signed that check over to you. Nice little check. <laughs> Not about the money. It's a heart. A few months after that, we had an opportunity to minister outside of this church. It was our first time ever ministering somewhere else. And because of that opportunity, 
we were blessed with a check probably four times as one better than the one I gave you larger we weren't expecting anything but it was just there with the principle of first fruits and and and, and living this lifestyle I Talisha and I talked and we were in perfect agreement about this we said you know what babe there's no telling where tomorrow leads this is the first money that we've ever gotten from ministering outside of this church it's the first fruits let's let's just give it to the Lord because we're grateful that we've been able to help somebody and so we did we put it in the offering and uh, two months later after that that person that took care of my mortgage payment says you know what let's expedite this a little bit you've got almost seventy thousand dollars left why don't we just take care of that and say Merry Christmas I promise you this is a principle and a lifestyle that you can live that God is faithful to his word he wants to bless you he wants to give you increase he wants to rebuke the devourer for your sake but we have to do it God's way the tithe is his the offering is his and when we give away what's left it multiplies so I challenge you today this is my challenge we're a few weeks away from going into a vision campaign I, I couldn't be more excited about it because of what I've lived through I know we are in preparation for miracles not just financial miracles we're gonna see the power of God on display but God's gonna operate through you the multiplication is going to happen in your bank account. If you follow these rules, follow these principles, God will bless you exceedingly so that he may be glorified. Is that okay? What I want us to pray right now, very simple prayer. God, I want you to speak to my heart. Speak to my life. If there's something, God, you are wanting of me, speak to me now. I'll obey it. And I want us to pray for stories our own stories it's not enough for me to have some and not you pray for your own and obey the voice of god he will give you your own stories let's pray lord we thank you for what you've done today we thank you for the mighty power that we feel in this room we thank you lord for what you have established in your word god you are true you are faithful my god to perform what you said you would do so, Lord, we're asking you now, Lord God, looking ahead into a new building, into reaching our world, in reaching this community. God, I know that you're going to bless it. I know that you're for it, God, for you have given the green light, my Lord. I pray over these people. I pray that you speak to them now. God, you're not after our money, my Lord. You're after our hearts. Lord, and when our hearts are grateful, then we return it to you, Lord, and we return an offering, God. You will bless. You will multiply, God, so that you would be famous in Sterling Heights, oh Lord. Do it for your name's sake, I pray. Let's continue to pray. Let's continue to pray.